Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome to episode three, and this is Betrayal Trauma Part Two. I'm Naomi. And I'm Cherlyn. And we have Kimberly Day with us today, and she is one of the Worth Therapists with Life Changing Services. She's a licensed MHCA, and she works with the women and does therapy groups for the women in worth. So thank you, Kim, for being here with us and taking time out of your day to answer some questions for our listeners about betrayal trauma. I think betrayal trauma is, it it can cover a lot of things. So we came up with some different talking points to kind of get an idea of what betrayal trauma is from a therapist's point of view. So the first question that we wanted to ask is, does everyone who find out about their partner's sexual misconduct experience betrayal trauma? And the second question kind of associated with that is, does betrayal trauma look the same for everyone? Well, thank you, Naomi, for having me here today. That can be a really complicated question and it can be really confusing. Uh, What exactly is betrayal trauma? Uh, So if I can give you just a little bit of history, um, the, the, The term was coined by Jennifer Fried in 1994 uh, related to um, injuries in a a relationship. Um, Oftentimes it was children with parents that were, were unsafe or abusive or destructive to the children, to the child. It can also be, um, in a intimate relationship where there has been, uh, essentially there's been an attachment injury or an attachment rupture where trust has been broken when that relationship or that individual is really dependent, um, on having a safe, have, having safety in that relationship. And so more recently it has been, um, often ascribed to, the situation that uh, our probably our listeners find themselves in is in a in a marital or an intimate relationship where you find out that your partner has been cheating, um, either through because of a sexual addiction, because of a pornography addiction. But the fundamental concept of betrayal trauma in general is um, is that breach of the attachment relationship and the wounds that are caused because of um, one partner in the relationship behaving in a way that is destructive. Oftentimes it's secretive and that causes the need for the spouse um, uh, sometimes to, they have to make a choice to either stop trusting uh, that partner, um, or they stop trust, they stop trusting themselves. Uh, oftentimes there are degrees of dissociation that play into that as well, because, uh, because 
we are fundamentally built to attach, to be in relationship, be in connection with one another. And those, those most basic, those most, I'll call the, I'll use the word sacred relationships between parent and child, between husband and wife are biologically where fundamentally need to feel safe in those. And so when there are, are behaviors that are taking place that are in violation to that, those intimate contracts, um, it causes a huge disruption for the partner to try to make sense of their reality and try to find safety in a, in a situation that is fundamentally unsafe. So when we're applying the term betrayal trauma to a marital relationship between uh, a man and a woman in which one party is sexually inappropriate or sexually acting out uh, and betraying his or her partner. Um, we see a lot of very, um, and they are very similar to PS PTSD. Oftentimes we'll call this complex PTSD as opposed to what we oftentimes think of as, I'll call it the standard PTSD when there is a traumatic event that takes place that is too much for a person to tolerate. Um, in complex PTSD, the trauma is relational and there's ongoing incidents as well as um, this pervasive uh, environment of of confusion of mistrust of lies of deceits of this of this breach of integrity on which relationships are founded and so you find the partner grasping for security grasping for understanding uh, grasping for a, a sense of of being safe in a situation that's fundamentally unsafe um, and to your second question, is it, does it look the same to everybody? No, it can look very, very different. Uh, you have, you may have some, some partners who um, become incredibly emotionally reactive, uh, hypersensitive, hypervigilant uh, are very, very common um, manifestations of that trauma. You also have the opposite where women numb out where they just mute all emotion and they go kind of, it almost feels a little bit dead inside where they just, or they stuff what they're feeling to be able to function. Oftentimes they're denying what's taking place and they're pushing that into the back uh, because it, it feels too fearful, too overwhelming to, to deal with it at face value. Um, I'll just go through really quickly. Some of the most common, um, manifestations of PTSD and betrayal trauma or I'll, these are ma um, manifestations of complex PTSD and we can equate that to betrayal trauma and this actually comes from ATSAT's training uh, for <clears throat> for betrayal trauma specialists uh, and in this they list emotional dysregulation so that's what I was talking about before um, partners and I apologize I might slip into saying women usually um at least right now most partners of betrayal trauma are women but there are are men there are plenty of men out there who are victims also of betrayal trauma who are definitely an underserved population so if i slip into saying he and she and men and women please understand that that can be the reverse as well I but see. uh 
oftentimes partners this emotional dysregulation where they find themselves incredibly emotionally um, excited and agitated anxiety. Um, they may, it may seem like they're overreacting to um, what it seems like maybe simple or relatively benign stimulus. Um, another one is an altered belief system. Um, somatic dysregulation uh, disre- uh, essentially means um, you're not in control of what's going on with your body. You're not connected with what's going on with your body. A, a sense of hyper arousal, um, avoidance or numbing, re-experiencing. So you're having intrusive thoughts. You're having maybe nightmares. You're um, seeing something and it brings up memories or images of your husband with this woman or um, re-experiencing um, over and over something that you don't want to re-experience or experience. Um, and it can, be can, <clears throat> it's very disconcerting. Uh, relations, relational disturbances. This seems like it goes without saying, like you have one partner who is acting out, it causes a huge rift in the, in the relationship. Um, also an altered attention and consciousness. That's the dissociation piece. Uh, oftentimes, um, it's not just children who learn to dissociate. Um, but again, that's kind of disconnecting with the present as a, as a coping mecha- mechanism for dealing with, with the trauma. So all of those and many more are common manifestations of the trail trauma. But um, like your question, everyone is impacted a little bit differently. Um, and so those may be symptoms, but it all comes back to that root trauma, that, that relational trauma that has taken place. Right. And if I can say it's con- continuing to take place, that's one of the reasons betrayal trauma is so difficult um, to address is because oftentimes the wounds are continuing to be inflicted in the, in the primary relationship as more and more comes out. Um, and there are other behaviors that are taking place in the relationship that cause that cause continual damage. Yeah, that makes sense. I know, I know for me, it, I've experienced not all of those, but I certain I, and I think probably Cherilyn, you had some different, different of those, um, probably from me, those, those symptoms, I guess, of betrayal trauma. I, I think I did a lot of um, denial and numbing out, and and I I don't know what was yours a little bit different, Cherilyn, with those symptoms. Yeah, I think for me, I swung back and forth between them. So I I would numb out, and I'd become hyper vigilant, and then I would numb out, and I and I did have um, severe PTSD. Um, I for months and months I had this reoccurring dream of my husband in an affair with, with this lady that I knew of and it stimulated me and it kept me up at night. I couldn't back, go back to sleep. And so it started to affect me during the daytime. And, um, you know, I just, I was, so I did experience those ways. I talked about this in our last episode, but even, you know, with, you know, thoughts of suicide, it got so bad for me. So I can really relate to, and, you know, testify that what, those symptoms that she's talking about really do happen with real women. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Kim, for that, 
for that definition. I know that that's really helpful for other women to kind of hear and to recognize maybe some of the things that they're experiencing. Um, is it, and, and I, I think kind of a follow-up question too, is it possible for people to be on such a low scale that they, that they kind of maybe don't have betrayal trauma? Are there people that experience this that don't have betrayal trauma? Uh, I would say, yes, that's possible um, and definitely possible to find, to have this discovery. Oftentimes we talk about this moment of discovery as kind of the onset of, of what's been happening. It actually is really kind of in the middle of it all. But um, when women find out about this, when they found, find out that there has been these secrets or these lies, it is definitely possible to not have to, to have it not create PTSD, but I would say for the vast um, uh, vast number of partners who discover um, sexual betrayal happening in their relationship, there's ex- there's an extreme stress reaction of one kind of or another, whether or not it is full blown PTSD or not. Um, I would say the vast majority, it's a traumatic. Uh, awareness that they and uh, the repercussions of that um, can be long lasting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Does the amount of time that you're exposed to betrayal kind of coincide with, you know, the, the, um, the spectrum of PTSD? Does that, does that make sense? I love that question. I think so. I think it, um, the answer to that, I believe, is yes and no. Uh, definitely the length of time that you have been kept in the dark is a factor. Um, and it, it is very individual. Every individual is going to handle it differently. Um, the degree to which the, the realization or the truth of which uh, you are coming to learn um, differs from what you thought you had in your relationship um, is a huge factor in, de- in determining how traumatic it is. There are other factors as well, like how many other healthy connections do you have in your life? If you are really well connected, you've got a good social network of healthy people that will help to diminish the trauma. Um, if you're active, especially if you're reaching out to those people at this time, if you're very, very isolated, and this is your primary relationship that you are very emotionally dependent on, and you've just found out that it's a lie. Oh, huge trauma, huge trauma, vast emotional pain. Yeah. One last question on PTSD is what could you, what advice would you give our listeners if any of them are going through PTSD symptoms? What would you, how would you, you know, how, what can they do to combat those symptoms? There is a lot they can do. Um, and sometimes it is the, it's a big question of how to start. What do I do? Uh, often we feel really helpful, helpless in that place uh, of, of confusion, of your life feeling out of control. And so doing things that will give you back that sense of empowerment over your life. Um, I would recommend two places to start. One um, is finding some good, safe, healthy people. And two is getting accurate information 
about what is going on um, with yourself. So learning, researching, that might be getting a good book on betrayal trauma and also on addiction because part of your healing path is going to be able um, building your ability to accurately um, understand what is going on with your spouse. If you're still in a relationship, oftentimes many of our, our women are still in a relationship with, um, with this man. And so it's going to be fundamental for her to be able to navigate her path to understand addiction and be able to accurately understand his behavior and what is, what is really happening. Not what he's telling her, not what her fears are, but really being able to discern what is happening within the addiction, within the relationship. So again, those two things, one, getting connected with healthy, safe people. And building, if she doesn't have that already, building a strong network of safe people and healthy relationships um, that she can lean on and getting accurate information. And sometimes those two things you can do together in some form. That's why we have our groups is to be able to provide at least in part both of those things, which are which create a really strong foundation for healing and moving forward. So another question I have um I know that betrayal trauma affects all kinds of different areas and, and so many times we talk about this, like kind of what we've talked about, like the emotional and the denial and all of those feelings that come with it. But I think sometimes, um, at least I've seen in some people and you can tell me, I mean, you've, you have a lot more contact with a lot more people who've experienced betrayal trauma, but does it, does it often affect people's spirituality? And if, and if any of our listeners feel abandoned or angry at God, what would you recommend to them? Yes, Naomi, it does. It definitely impacts. um, And I'll change the word that you used just slightly. It it impacts um, our ability to perceive the spirit uh, and to be, uh, to feel connected with our higher power, to feel his, his presence in our life um, for a couple of reasons related to what we were just talking about. Um, it can be really hard to hear or to feel peace when our bodies, our minds, and our emotions are just screaming and are feeling out of control, when we're dysregulated, when we can't control um, our own our emotional state when we're hyper aroused we're not feeling most of the time really spiritual we're not feeling really in tune we're not feeling really grounded oftentimes those feelings of um being able to to connect with god come in a state of being able to be strongly grounded strongly um at peace and when we're emotionally dysregulated that it it blocks that it doesn't mean God's not there, but it often leads women to feeling like they're abandoned when they're feeling most in need um, of that spiritual support, that f- spiritual comfort, which we yearn for when we're in emotional pain, when we're in any sort of pain. And it can create a, a lot of um, feelings of anger. Uh, that's a very normal thing. Uh, the opposite is also true when we're numbing out, when we are um, to cope, when we are distancing ourselves from our emotions or from our feelings or we're in the state of kind of denying what's happening uh, denying the truth 
we numb everything. And that includes our spiritual side. And so once again, there's this block, um, making it hard for us to perceive um, and, and to receive the comfort or the guidance or the spiritual uplifting that we're desperately seeking. And again, that feeling of abandonment or anger. Um, and then when it's that primary relationship that has betrayed us, it's human nature then to start to feel like we're in, unsafe in a lot of aspects of our lives. That sense of, um, well, I can't trust him. Who else can't I trust? Or why did God let this happen to me? Uh, if God loves me, how could he let me suffer in this much pain? Especially when it feels like he's not showing up for you um, when you're in that. So if you are feeling that way, that anger, I would say, is, is, is normal. Many of us have gone through that sometimes multiple times. <laughs> and I guess what I would say about that is to tell him. Um, he can take our pain he can take our anger he can take our rage um oftentimes we learn what we have to hold a lot back from our spouses or even from other family members other friends our emotions can if if we just let them out on people people distance themselves from us they they um sometimes we get um backlash from that um and especially when we're dealing with a spouse that is struggling with an addiction, we have to be very careful how we approach him with our emotions. And one of the beautiful things about God, the beautiful things about God is that he can take it. He can take all of our, our rage. Uh, he can take all of our anger. We don't have to, we don't have to um, weather check with him. We don't have to, um, we don't have to filter what we say. Uh, he is the ultimate safe place, the ultimate safe person that we can unload on. We don't have to check to see whether or not he's in a good mood. We don't have to schedule um, to fit it into his day. We don't have to wait until he's ready. Sometimes sometimes we find ourselves waiting, ladies, for years for our husband to be ready to hold just a little bit of our pain. Can you take this little bit? And we have to meet it out in these like micrograms. <laughs> Can you take this much? Okay, well, we'll hold that's not the way it is with God. He is ready at any moment to take it all in full. And he, he relishes the chance to, to, do, to take that from us. So don't hold back your true feelings from him. If you're feeling, feeling angry, feeling enraged, um, communicate that to him. Um, he, is, he is, like I said, the ultimate safe person. Um, and our vulnerability will always be honored with him. Um, that we have permission to be, um, to express the very depths of our soul. Um, and he can understand in a way that no other person on earth really can. Um, he can truly and completely understand what we're going through. And in fact, in, and this is my opinion, and maybe you differ from that, but we talked earlier about how um, having those healthy connections um, are fundamental to our healing, having a safe place or, or a safe person where we can really be vulnerable and be honored for it. Um, and so whenever we have those experiences, where we have those heart to heart with a good friend, uh, when we receive validation um, from a neighbor or even our spouse, that our feelings are okay, when we connect in our groups uh, with other women who nod and say, I know exactly who you, how you feel. 
and my heart aches for you because I felt that way too. All of those are so powerful and so healing for us, I believe, because that is in essence connecting with God because that is what God would do um, if he were here to do that for us. And, and so in a way, as we receive that validation, that connection, that love, that compassion that comes from other people, um, we feel we get a little tiny glimpse of connecting with God in that. Um, but we don't have to wait to find a person who is prepared enough to do that for us, to be able to, um, to ask for him to do that. I love, I love that you said that because I, I was kind of thinking as you were talking that for me, I don't feel like I, like I struggled to the point where I didn't want to go to church anymore, but I definitely struggled in like those personal daily things, you know, there's like that outward spiritual and then there's that inward spiritual. Mm -hmm. And I feel like my inward spiritual struggled more than my outward. Like I went and I did, you know, I checked all the boxes, but I think my inward spiritual, my spirituality changed as I got involved with worth, as I connected with people, as I got that compassion and that understanding. And I really truly did feel like, you know, this is where I need to be. God led me here. God gave me this program to help me to see him in a better light and to, and to, you know, begin to really connect spiritually to him again and really continue to receive that ongoing revelation. So I like how you talked about our groups and finding that safe place can kind of be like, you know, it, it's a glimpse of, of God's acceptance of us in no matter what stage of life that we're in or what stage of spirituality that we're in. Yeah. I love that. Can I say one more thing about that? Yeah. And that this is kind of a plea related to that. I think, I think all of us um, to some degree and other in some way that's very personal, like you said, Naomi, have struggled with that. It has it challenged our assumptions about uh, fundamentally our assumptions about life, about the meaning of life, our connection with God, how safe we are. And we've had to rewrite those in a lot of ways. Um, and whether that m means we struggle with the church that we go to or what it means, we've, it has tested our spirituality. Um, and so my plea then is all of the ladies I've ever talked to about this, they have lost so much. Um, and there's so many casualties, so many wounds when it comes to betrayal trauma, your innocence, your self-esteem, your creativity, your spontaneity, your trust in your sense, your trust in yourself and in others. Um, perhaps, you know, even your, your feeling of love for you, your sense of, of your own worth, um, even your own sense of self, your identity suffers immensely when you go through this. Um, don't let faith be a casualty as well. It's totally okay to be mad, to be raging, to be fuming, angry. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to be furious. It's okay to feel all those feelings. Um, in fact, oftentimes connecting with those feelings is what motivates and moves you towards healing and reconnection. Connection in a different way with God or a deeper way than maybe you've experienced before. So... My plea is to, no matter what your questions, no matter what your doubts are, it's 
fine to have all of those and normal and natural. Just don't give up on your faith. Don't let that be another casualty of what has been done to you. I love that. I wanted to share um, a personal experience. I feel like maybe listeners can relate to this, but when I was deciding whether or not to marry my husband, I remember praying and getting a very spiritual confirmation that this was who I was supposed to marry. And then when I, two weeks in, when I found out that he was looking at pornography, it really challenged that belief. You know, I really started to doubt is, was I really listening to the Lord? You know, was he really guiding me and all this kind of stuff? And um, I felt like, like you said, it really did. My faith didn't become a casualty. It became the, 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 you know, the bomb that healed me. And so I feel like, Going, you know, now that I'm on the other side of that, because um, I remember the Lord kept telling me, you know, because the, the, it was meant for me to stay in this marriage relationship with my husband. And he kept confirming that this has purpose and this has a point. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I can see the wisdom in the Lord's counsel for me to stay. And I'm grateful that he didn't take that challenge from me because I've become more tolerant. I've, you know, when people tell me about the things that they're experiencing, my heart goes out to them faster and I have a deeper relationship with God and I don't doubt my identity. And so these are some of the blessings that I feel like I've received from trusting in the Lord and just doing what he, he knew better. He knew that there would be a good outcome and just trusting in him. So I really love that, that plea that you have. I, I agree, Sherilyn. I, I've had, I had a similar experience where I totally questioned myself. Like, I'm pretty sure that I got my answer, but maybe I was, but, and I questioned my ability to receive, you know, personal revelation for myself, you know? And, and I think that, I think that's common, you know, in, in our um, network or in our culture, you know, when, when you pray, you know, about who to marry and you get that confirmation, I, I also just, some of the things that I've learned too, is that even if we do get that confirmation and we're questioning that, I don't, I feel like God can see our potential better than we can. And so he can see, yeah, you'll make it through this, you know, and if, you know, and if I had given up, you know, at the beginning, I would have had some other thing that helped me to learn what I've learned and, and become who I am right now. It may have been some different trial, but, but I think there are trials in our life. And I don't think that God gives us a husband with an addiction as a trial. I think that's just, that's something that happens, you know, and we learn from it because that's just a situation. Those are our choices that God in, you know, and we and we ended up in that situation. But I also think that there are some trials, you know, like sickness and, you know, things like that, that, that come into life that are given by God. But I think that no matter what trial that we're given or where it comes from, everything helps us to become more compassionate, like you said, and, and really be able to be that voice to somebody else who is experiencing a similar situation and really be able to say, I'm sorry, I'm here. I know what you feel and, and I'll sit with you, you know, kind of a thing. So, yeah. That's beautiful. 
Want to join a free online therapist-led group with Worth? Head on over to healingwithworth.org to enroll. So we've talked a lot about trauma and <laughs> and kind of how we experience that. Um, Janine is not with us again today, but she had she had a question about um, how our listeners could maybe uh, assess where their trauma is if they're experiencing trauma, and and she wanted to know um, if there was a particular trauma assessment that you would recommend to help our listeners determine where they are and where would they go to take that if you have one? Um, there are a lot of different ones out there I've seen. Um, I looked up one just last night uh, on Bloom for Women uh, is a pretty quick and easy one, very directed towards betrayal. You immediately uh, um, an assess or a, an evaluation of that assessment. You take, it takes probably about seven minutes or so to do it. And then it, it, what I liked about it is it broke it up into different categories uh, to help to filter what feels like just the chaos of life of these are, these are, it kind of, um, breaks it up neatly and says, you know, in this area of trauma, this you're you're rating moderately high or you're moderately low here. Um, and it helps to see some of the different ways that trauma is manifesting in your life. And that can direct you as far as, well, I need to, where do I need to reach out or get help or, uh, where do I need to work on to reduce some of those uh, trauma reactions? Um, also, there's pretty extensive, if you are with a therapist with Addo, I believe they have, or with Absats also. Um, those are the two organizations that I'm familiar with that do a lot of training for professionals on betrayal trauma, and they have assessments available to them if you're with a therapist or looking for a therapist. And I strongly recommend if you're finding that your trauma symptoms are really high to recognize what that is and to to give yourself permission to reach out and get help for that Uh, trauma as uh, trauma is the definition in the definition of it is it's more uh, it overloads the system. And so uh, you need that support and resources in helping to cope with it. So um, ABSATS has on their website, you can identify ABSATS trained therapists. Um, ADO has the same thing, I believe, on their website um, to get not just the assessments, because they have access to a lot more in-depth and lengthy assessments to determine where you are, but also the help to interpret those assessments and then to walk you through the healing process. Um, uh, Tangentially related to that, oftentimes I think many of us have gone to just found counselors who maybe have never even heard of betrayal trauma and don't have any training and have maybe with even with our spouse, maybe couples counseling, I see you (laughs) nodding and smiling. Um, I have many, many women have been um, re-traumatized in reaching out and looking for help um, that it's sadly, it's so common. We even have a term for it. It's called treatment induced trauma. <laughs> That's when you've been traumatized, you reach out for help from somebody who supposedly knows how to help you and you get advice, you get, um, perspective, you, you're told something that, um, 
is not only not helpful, but it's destructive to you. Absolutely. Well, in conjunction with that, I have, I have two questions. Um, so what, if you know of somebody who's going through trauma, because you talked about, you know, getting hurt twice, what kind of advice would you give our listeners if they know that someone in their circle is experiencing betrayal trauma? How can they support them? How can they help them? That is an excellent question. I think we all know someone. <laughs> Some of us, we know many people. Um, and sometimes it's people that you don't even know that are struggling with that you find out down the road. But um, yes, that's one of the reasons I absolutely love the WORTH program um, and life-changing services. And what they provide is um, very specialized support and um, aid for this from people who have been trained in this, uh, I'll call this specialty. Um, I mentioned also ABSATS and that's, um, let me make sure I'm saying the acronym right. It's APSATS. It stands for the Association of Partner of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists. They train therapists, they train coaches on betrayal trauma, then they provide a certification to show that those therapists have spent considerable time getting training and consulting so that they're aware of and and, um, utilize a trauma model rather than like a codependence model. Um, Also, ADDO recovery. I also believe they have a list of trained therapists that, um, so around the country, you can access lists of um, professionals that have that specific type of training. If you're looking for um, a therapist, counselor, or a professional to work with um, the, sp- the addict, um, CSATs, certified sex addiction therapists, are trained specifically in sexual addiction. And that's usually who I look or I recommend people look for um, with the caveat that even CSATs that have been trained years ago don't have the trauma perspective of this, the partner. And oftentimes even CSATs can be really partner insensitive in, in their therapy. So um, and then the other piece of advice I would have as people are reaching out and looking for if they're looking for help, looking for. Um, a professional is to, and this is really hard, it's way easier said than done, uh, but honor their sense of, is this really helpful for me? And take it like you're shopping for, um, I'll say a car. You know, they may, you might find somebody and if they're not helpful, if you, you feel like what they're telling you to do is not a good fit with what you know is true or what feels right or what feels good, they're probably not a very good fit as a therapist and give yourself permission to say, okay, this doesn't work. I'm going to try somewhere else. So often we um, go in with a mindset of they're the professional, they're the expert. I don't know anything, Uh, especially if I feel like my life is, I'm going crazy or my life's in chaos. I'm so desperate for someone who can just tell me this is what you do. Well, when I go in and find someone and they tell me something and it doesn't fit, again, then I feel like I'm doubting myself. Uh, it's, it's normal to then question yourself and say, well, maybe I'm wrong rather than saying, well, they, they probably don't understand (laughs) what is really going on. 
and more yeah. in more cases than not, especially when it comes to betrayal trauma, there unfortunately our field is under um, under trained in this area. This is a relatively new understanding that uh, there's a lot of people still trying to catch up with, and we're we're all still trying to make sense of. So I don't yeah. know if that answered your question. I apologize if that kind of went off on a tangent. I think your question was, how do I support somebody that I know? Um, the other thing I would say would be to be that person, that safe person. I cannot, uh, I would have a hard time under, uh, or I cannot over express how important that is for everyone to just have a safe person they can go to who's going to listen without judgment, who's going to love them, who's going to honor their vulnerability um, and who's going to validate that, that they're worth something and that their and that their perspective is valid. Yeah. Thank you. I, I totally agree with that. All of that. <laughs> and I like how you, I thank you for explaining AppSats and what that is, because I think it's important for, for listeners and, and just general public to understand that because like you said, I was nodding because I had gone to two different counselors and it was terrible and it was not helpful at all. And I even expressed, you know, my husband is looking at pornography and, and I don't know what, you know, I can't connect with him. I I don't know what to do. And then they started like, let's work on communication. And, and I'm like, this isn't helping. I don't want to. He's not, you know, but that whole time I didn't realize, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't connecting the fact that he's not safe for me to connect with, you know, on that, on the kind of level that you want us to connect on, you know, and so that training is, is key to finding somebody who's trained. And then of course, that safe person, be that safe person. If, if you're not the one, you know, who's experiencing this, you can be that safe person for, for somebody else who is experiencing it and sit with them and not try to fix, not try to tell them what to do, but just to be there, letting them know that they are loved despite what they might think and that they are worth something. And I know that that was, that was a key thing for me to have somebody who just loved me and and even encouraged me after some time, you know, it wasn't the first time we talked, you know, it was, it was long down the road that my sister-in-law encouraged me to get help for myself, you know, and, and it still took me a while to do that. But, but being able to in, you know, when that trust is there, when that's built, then you can kind of start offering that, that advice as far as, as you know, maybe you, maybe you need some help. Maybe, maybe you can find a therapist who can help you with all of this pain, you know, and processing that. So yeah, I love that. Thank you. So I think um, you mentioned codependent versus betrayal trauma. And I thought that would be a good, a good next place to go. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people that prescribe to the codependent model. Um, how, how does betrayal trauma, the betrayal trauma model differ from codependence? Is there anything that the two have in common? Um, would, would anything that the two have in common be helpful to acknowledge in healing or are they completely separate? 
I know that's kind of a big, long question. <laughs> no, I, I think I got it. That's a great question. Um, the difference, as I see it, uh, fundamentally between kind of a codependent model and a trauma model um, is, is the issue of responsibility. Um, oftentimes, and this goes into that treatment-induced trauma, <laughs> or where oftentimes when we go to couples counseling or we go to, if we go to a therapist that ascribes to a codependent model, the idea of codependence is essentially, well, you're just as sick as he is. And that is actually really not helpful. And it can be really painful to hear when you're, and there's a lot of rejection of that. That doesn't feel right. No, no, no. He, you're telling me he's acting out. He's doing these things. He's lying. He's, um, he is um, gaslighting me. He's doing all these things and I'm causing it. I'm causing him to do that. Cause that's the codependent model is either that uh, his acting out is largely due to um, is, is at least partially your responsibility because he's acting out because you are too naggy, whatever, or that you found him and you somehow needed to find somebody who's broken because you were because of some past childhood trauma and so you're essentially stuck in reliving um, counterproductive unhealthy relationships because of the early trauma um, it's um, so again fundamentally that the issue is responsibility um, and coming and I think it's really powerful and really healing to come to a place to not just realize it in our heads, because it's easy to say, it's harder to feel and to know in our feelings and in our body that we are not responsible for his choices. We're not responsible for anybody's choices, but our own. We are responsible for our choices. Um, and so, um, again, the codependent model often um, jumps, if you're working with a partner, is going to jump into their past, their history. What did you experience that would cause you to get into this relationship? Um, what, um, and what I believe is that's not particularly helpful. What the, When you're dealing with someone in trauma, and this is where the trauma model differs, you have to start with a different, with a very different lens. Um, and you start with creating safety you start with um, creating a bedrock of um, trying to deal with the emotional dysregulation and getting safe as quickly as possible. That looks like setting boundaries. That looks like um, getting information. That, uh, and then from a place of more uh, of safety and a little bit more groundedness, you can start other work. You can start grief work. You can start um, helping them um, make sense of the choices that they have from here. Um, where, um, and then if, ideally, if the addict has done his work and is into a place where he's safer, he's into recovery, um, <clears throat> there is potential for working on um, reconnection or creating um, this, a new relationship that maybe hasn't even, it's not even a restoring of the old relation. It's a creating of the new. So from a trauma model, 
it really determines where your focus is and how you help and how you ascribe responsibility for what is taking place. Um, Interesting enough, both models or both perspectives, um, you would do very similar things as far as um, you begin with setting boundaries. Um, You encourage them to reach out, to have healthy connections. You, you, Applaud and um, encourage self-care. That's a piece that I haven't um, emphasized enough. Giving the partner permission to to focus on what she needs, uh, ask for it, um, go out and get it. Give herself permission to take care of herself. Um, and and focusing, I guess those are those are our four pillars and worth right connection, boundaries self-care and action what can she do so even from a codependent model a lot of the things that they will teach from a trauma model and there even is there's a new book out there called pro-dependence but uh, from a similar perspective it talks as uh, the trauma model um, where it you're honoring the attachment um, and recognizing that what the damage that was done is an attachment wound and recognizing the fundamental need that we all have for healthy attachments and what happens and what creates this sense of chaos and confusion for many of us who have experienced betrayal trauma is that you're desperately seeking what you cannot have, which is safety, which is not provided, which is safety in an unsafe situation. And so um, what you have to learn to do is to create safety that's not being offered to you you have to be proactive in creating safety that you should have been able and i will not argue with anyone you should have been given you have every right to expect that you were given that safety but it's not it's not given to you even though you are um, worthy of it and therefore what can you do you have to create it and so that's the shift in um, starting to learn boundaries Uh, and both models talk about that of of the need to set boundaries to create safety. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely did. Yeah, I think that answered it completely. That, and I, and I think you also answered another question kind of talking about, you know, that those steps of, you know, the next question was just how, how, how do we start to, what do we start to do to, start to heal from betrayal trauma and and you said it perfectly you know the healthy connection setting boundaries and self-care um and maybe maybe since we've talked about boundaries a little bit and healthy connections maybe you can talk a little bit more into self-care and and maybe um what that what that looks like for somebody who's experienced who's in betrayal trauma what what kind of self-care um, pieces would you recommend to, to kind of get them going on self-care? That is a great question because the, the hard thing with self-care is it looks so different often for different people. What really fills their bucket? What gives them, um, what, what do they need? And so often we women, when we're in trauma, we're so out of touch with our bodies, with our, uh, that we don't know what we need. And so 
you say do your self-care and a lot of women just kind of stare blank blankly well what does that mean you know what does that mean (laughs) does that mean I should do more running okay I'm gonna I'm gonna get myself up and I'm gonna run at five o'clock in the morning I've actually had this (laughs) and they feel miserable because now they're not getting sleep um and they hate running and and then they beat themselves up if they don't run far enough or they're not fast enough or some or if they're triggered while they're running there <laughs> so it can be it seems like a simple concept but it can be really bewildering on how to start what does self-care look like and so i would encourage women to one and this is a form of self-care in my opinion too is give themselves grace and give themselves permission to not be perfect and to accept themselves where they're at. And this is a lot as a trial and error process. But as they start to consider, okay, self-care is about learning to give yourself permission to treat yourself like you're just as worthy of love and attention and uh, as anybody else, as your kids, as your husband, as your best friend. And in fact, you, um, if you're not going to take care of you, then you can't talk take care of all those other people anyway so you've got to start with you so breaking it down simply and say okay what does my physical body need um and what does it want and as we learn to be more in tune with our bodies that those answers will start to come more readily if it just seems like well i really don't know i have no idea what i need are you getting enough sleep I cannot overemphasize. Are you getting good sleep? Are you giving yourself? And sometimes, and when you're in trauma, your body is going to need additional time to repair. So are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting some, some exercise in? Um, exercise, ideally, that's a little bit fun at a time that's convenient and doesn't feel like torture. Uh, some large <laughs> muscle movement. Like, are you, and this is a great one. Get a friend to go for a walk every day for 15 minutes or 20 minutes apparently that research shows 20 that 20 minute mark is really kind of the ideal it doesn't have to be um, a kickboxing program it can if that is what really gets you up and going but it can just be a brisk walk around the neighborhood maybe chatting with a friend Um, so sleep exercise are you getting good food to eat Um, what else does your body need so you, you look at the physical now look at your mind. You're, you need to be putting in information in your mind right now. Your cognitive self-care often looks like reading books. Uh, you need more information to make the decisions and decipher the chaos of going on in your life. And it's very empowering to read something and say, huh, that's me. Oh, I know what that feels like. Oh, here it is. Oh, there's an answer. Oh, I could try this. So Um, your intellectual or cognitive self-care, again, it's what you're feeding in your brain and giving yourself permission to say, the dishes can wait for a minute. I'm going to, I'm giving myself 15 minutes to read. Or maybe it's reading just a book that um, is inspiring to you. Maybe it's reading your scriptures. Um, That also ties into spiritual self-care where, what do you, what do you need to feed your spirit Um, And then what do you need for emotional self-care? That might be, I need, I need a lunch date with my best friend. Okay. So yes, those are all, I thank you for all of those, those different ideas with self-care. I think it makes, it kind of starts that starts our listeners being able to think like, okay, 
there are these different areas of self-care and we'll, and we'll do some other um, podcasts, you know, specifically about boundaries and self-care and we'll kind of go into it a little bit more. Um, so I appreciate just kind of having that basis to go off of. I think that's really helpful for our listeners. And, and I think we're, I think we're out of time. So, and, and we've got through all of the questions that we had really that, I mean, some of them kind of answered themselves throughout this, this podcast. Thank you again so much, Kim, for being here and being able to answer these questions. Thank you for listening. And we hope to see you back next week as we talk a little bit more. We go a little bit more in depth about boundaries and self-care and have a great week. Thank you, Naomi. Bye. You too. Yeah, thank Bye. You. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, to enroll in a therapist-led support group or to check out our blog. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or wherever you may listen, or simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode because you are worth it.